dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. One of the most important aspects to any leadership is your ability to have ideas. Casting a vision and showing where we want to go is essential to have anyone follow us. But what is the difference between having ideas and having good ideas? What makes a potential idea or a future vision something that's captivating and true? Our Christian faith helps us here. God will help us to be temperate, to not be afraid to prioritize, and to be open to the great things He wants to do through us. Welcome back, everybody, to the St. John Leadership Network, where we're doing this special session with you. I'm just real proud of you, first of all, for being willing to come. Really proud of you for being here, for being willing to step forward and to say, okay, I am in the world. I don't plan on being a monk (laughs) or a nun anytime soon. I have a job. I've got a position in our society. And I want to let God do the great things through me that he wants to accomplish. And when you have that attitude, you're really living what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be bringing heaven into the earth and bringing the earth up to heaven. We're like bridges that are connected to both poles. Okay, a religious is barely connected to this earth, right? We, we, we live a different lifestyle because we're trying to show the full reality and beauty of the life to come in heaven. But a lay person, you need to be connected to heaven by your faith, hope, and love, absolutely. But you're called to be integrated into the very fabric of our society. And, and we do this, of course, through our family and all of the extension of the family, the educational world, the recreational world, the cultural world, all of that. But we also do it through our work. And the, the way that we contribute to building up the common good of our society by our efforts and to work well and to work in the name of Christ is an incredibly important aspect of evangelization and what, how we glorify him while we're on this earth. I mean, I I always go back to the fact that you're spending between eight and 10 hours a day doing this. Do you really think that that should remain neutral? Almost like, well, my real life as a Christian believer is in my family. And then I just have to do this work stuff on the side so that then I can go home and play with the kids. And I get it like, yes, family is more important and is more central to the Christian vocation. And yet... You can't for as much simply leave the world of work into silence. You need to take what you're doing every day as a mission field for the Lord. And you do that by doing your work well. You do that by creating good products. And you do that by, by, by giving the fruits of your work into, you know, to appropriate places. So anyway, as we go forward in this, what's at the heart of of this Christian perspective of living in the world is that you need to be willing to change the world. And I can't emphasize this enough. We don't take enough stock of ourselves as Christians being a, a, a member of the body of Christ that was sent to save. 
I think sometimes we even take a diminutive stance with respect to society, almost apologizing for being Christian. You know, we don't want to offend anybody. You know, I'm like, it's almost like a doctor not wanting to offend his patient by giving the patient medicine. You know, what, what kind of doctor would be like, listen, I don't really want to change you. I know you're sick, but I mean, like, I'm not quite sure that, that you want to be better. And so, no, I mean, you say you're sick. I'm here to heal you. Or if someone is traveling in the totally wrong direction from where they really want to go, are you being nice or charitable by saying, well, I'm, I don't, you know, who am I to tell you that you're going in the wrong way? You know they're going the wrong way. You know where they want to be. Well, then you need to say, you know, you're going in the wrong way. You're never going to get there. Anyway, you need to be able to step up. And I think a lot of us are just a little bit embarrassed to do that. Almost like, well, what's the value of Christianity? Let's be clear about this. Christianity is wonderful, everyone. It's a word of hope. It's a love that does not die. It is a redeeming grace that forgives and that heals and that sets us on a pathway to true joy. I mean, the, only, the problem isn't Christianity. The problem is that we don't share it. I mean, honestly. And once I really allow myself to say, is there anything better in the world? I mean, let's suppose that I wasn't there. Let's suppose I just would say, you know what? I'm just going to let everybody just go their way and I'll just, I'll be a Christian, but I bet everybody is just right. Go ahead and compare what they're living for. I mean, you have philosophies out there that say that you were created by nothing, that you simply evolved out of basically slime, and that at the end of your life, you basically go back to that slime again. You know, it's basically the slime bag philosophy. <laughs> I'm nothing but a bag of slime. You know, fine. You can believe that if you want to. I just don't know why you would. You got other philosophies that say, you know, fate is in charge of every aspect of your life and it's all been predetermined and you just are living out a destiny of something that's bigger than what you are, right? Well, that's again, like kind of denigrating to your dignity. It's like, why would we even have kids if the kids are just going to be another expression of some sort of universal fate? I mean, you can believe in all kinds of things that people do. They believe crystals can talk to them. They believe that trees are something that you should worship. They believe that animals are people. I mean, you can, you can believe these things. Why wouldn't you believe that you can rise from the dead, that you will live forever, that sins can be forgiven, and that all people can live as one in and through the Holy Spirit of God that transcends anything earthly or anything that the eye has ever seen or the ear has ever heard or has even entered into the thought of man. I don't know why you wouldn't. If you're going to believe some other kind of philosophy that says that your body isn't important and that you are, you know, locked in yourself and that love is impossible, go ahead. But like, I'm not going to allow you to say that that's equal or on the same footing as a perspective that says a human being was made for God and we have found the way for a human being to find God. And that way is Jesus Christ, who is God looking for us to incorporate us into himself and bring us to live thanks to the Holy Spirit of God at a whole nother level of life than anyone around us. This is just an amazing thought and it's something we should be proud of. And when I'm proud of it, I start to bring it. Right? Instead of living a passive life where I'm diminutive with respect to a society where the real people are, I instead start to try to change the world around me to bring the kingdom of God that I have discovered and known to be present here in the earth. 
Christianity is much more about playing offense than it is about playing defense, okay? It's much more about reaching out. It's much more about changing things, which is why every Christian is called to lead. Leadership and holiness are, are, are corollaries, okay? It's not the same thing, but you cannot receive holiness without being a leader. And leadership is a way for you to embody and live out your holiness. So this is why it's so important to go right to the heart of leadership and say, well, if I'm supposed to be leading, and if this is what it means to be a saint, it means to be bringing that change, well, what's the elements behind it? And we said, well, there's four, right? There's the element of you learning to know what you want to do. There's the element of planning out and thinking through how you're going to do it. There's the element of pivoting and changing and, and holding through and sticking through in the grittiness as you get the thing done. And then there's the element of spreading that idea and helping other people to follow in your footsteps. There's these four steps. And the very first one is so important. And it's this ability that we have to aspire to want things, to dream dreams that will change actions. Right? And, and, and at the heart of that, you have three different steps. The first step is to really accept that you are good. The second step is to enter into a desire that's going to build up that goodness and allow you to give what's inside of you to the world out there. And the third step is so important. It's what we're going to focus in on today. And it's the ability to not just have dreams, but to have good dreams, <laughs> right? To dream well, to think of dreams that are accurate, dreams that are really possible, things that I can achieve by my actions. And that's a whole art in and of itself, and it's something that our faith can help us with as well. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, Go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. Okay, so all action foundationally is rooted in desire, right? And desire, not just, you know, for willy-nilly anything, but desiring things that can really move us forward, right? And aspiration is always for improvement, for goodness, right? But it's a, it's a really difficult moment because if you're good at ideas, then the problem that you'll have is that your ideas can so abound that you don't know how to choose which one is the best one. And sometimes, especially for artistic kind of personalities, all of them are good. It's, it's almost like choosing between possible ways forward is a little bit like choosing between your children, which ones are going to live and which ones aren't. You know, and you, you don't want to do that because you're enamored with all the possibilities. I mean, I could build a boat or I could build a house or I could build a house that's big enough to have a boat, you know, and then I could do, take my money and I could give it to the poor instead of building a house. But, and every idea that you have, if, you're, if you have a good self-esteem and a self-acceptance of who you are, and you, and you really allow yourself to dream about the world, well, suddenly you can dream about, about three million things too many. <laughs> and there's, on the one hand, a good problem to have. It's a lot easier to steer uh, a car when it's be moving forward than it is when it's sitting still. And if you've got a team of people or if you've got a company where you've got energy and ideas and desires, wow, well, that's a blessing. I mean, it could be a curse on the one hand, but it's much more a blessing because at least it's easier to say no 
than to say doesn't have anyone have any ideas, right? When you have people that are thinking things out loud and that are trying them, well, then you can, you can pare them down. But like I said, there's different personalities and some people really struggle with paring ideas down because you're in love with each one and the potential of what it could be. The problem is, if we're in leadership, we need to lead our people by motivating them and people are motivated by clarity. Let's be real clear about this. The, the ideal that we're striving after, which is so important to have, the dream needs to come into focus with things that can really be actuated. And that, that, that is a phase in our dreaming and our aspiration, which can sometimes be overlooked, especially if you have a more of a romantic vision of things and where, you know, we should allow ourselves to think of things and brainstorm. You love brainstorming sessions. I mean, we all love brainstorming sessions. I mean, it's great. But in the end, the brainstorming session needs to then pare down of the many possible ideas the ones that we think we could actually do. And that's important because the next phase of your leadership is in your planning, how I map out accurately and make a choice amongst the possible things, the one that we're going to focus in on. And we can have a plan B, we can have a plan C, but they're now in a real prioritization of a plan. This is not yet there. We're not yet making a plan. That's gonna be the next phase here in our leadership called the understanding phase. I'm not making a plan, but to, in order to make a plan, you have to first have real possibilities and real possibilities are not just the fruit of dreams. They're the fruit of dreams that have been prioritized. Okay. And that is a phase here that I think our faith really comes in to help us with. And it's, it's something we're, we're very familiar with. Prioritization of tasks and of workflows is not an easy thing to do. It's actually a skill set that is, is not always present in the workplace. When you find it in somebody, you find someone that's capable of leadership. You almost like, you can almost put a, uh, the two of them as correlative. To the degree that someone is able to make and cast a prioritization of their tasks, they're also going to be capable of leading a team. Now, I don't think it's, it's totally going to hold water, but I think that you can see that in your experience. It's, it's an ability of the intelligence to say, first this, then this. And between these two good things, this one is more important. It's a strategic way of thinking that demonstrates your grasp of the whole scenario in a way that's realistic. This is really where being a Christian becomes an advantage. And I mean this, and it's going to surprise a lot of you because you, we're used to thinking of our faith life as something that's emotional and that's pie in the sky kind of idea. It's like there's a, a realm way up there, a castle in the clouds, you know, a home life called heaven. And then, but my real life is one of pain, suffering, sorrow, difficulty, and that's where I've got to get real. And you can even hear that sometimes in people's you know, reasonings for not going to confession, not going to mass. It's almost like right now I've got my hands full. Right? And, and, and I can understand that, but that's not the truth. The truth is that our faith is not about an ideal that is not realistic. Our faith actually focuses us to become even more realistic than we are without it. A believer is someone who thanks to God and by his grace is as serious about their lives in this world as God is and adapts God's knowledge and God's perspective about their world to be their own. This is what makes this so amazing 
Okay? And it's just the opposite of what we think. We think, no, 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 if I put my faith on the side, and put my spirituality aside, then I'll really be able to confront the problems of the day. And I'm like, no, you'll be confronting the problems of the day, but, but through what? Through your own optic, through your own emotions, through their own way of seeing things, through your own prejudices, your own biases, through your own history. And, you know, and fine. I mean, like, at least you're trying to confront things. I agree. But let's not be naive. All of us have a lens through which we see the world. And most of our lenses disperse the field of vision. They disperse it by our own petty our own pettiness, our own arrogance, our own pride, all the different things that are inside of us that we're kind of, you know, think aren't there. So we think we're being realistic and actually we're not. We're just projecting outward all of the stuff that's inside of us. What if on the contrary, I was to adapt the perspective of faith, the lens of faith. The lens of faith doesn't disperse, it focuses. It brings everything into a truth because no one knows this world better than God and no one loves this world more than God. So if I'm in God and I allow God to be my light and my, 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 my lens, right? And my truth and my way, well, then I'm going to allow all the stuff that's inside of me to stay there and not cloud my field of vision. Now I'm going to be somebody who's able to really see things as they are. And when I see things as they are, see the potentials, see the places I can leverage, see what I can move forward to accept the things that I cannot change and to change the things that I can because I see them in truth. This is the real key. Don't put your Christianity on the side of your leadership. Put a right center in your life. What is the truth of this world? It is the truth that we find in God, from God, with God. And now I am so realistic because I have gotten out of the way of my own field of vision and I've allowed God to teach me and to open my mind and my heart to a whole new way of being. And that new way of being is the key to great ideas. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org/member and join for free today. Okay, so now that we see and have understood that leadership requires ideas, right? Vision requires going from an, a point A that exists towards a point B that does not yet exist. Change in state, right? And that, those, that dream is the power to reach out and to say, here's where we could go. How do we make sure that our dreams are good ones? How do we make sure that our ideas that we have are, are good ones, right? How do I prioritize those, those desires that I have? And it's not an easy thing. And, and a lot of people struggle with it. And I actually think it's a, a skill that we learn and we can get better at. At this root, what I have to be able to do is I have to be able to say no. And, and, and as difficult as that might be, ask yourself why it's difficult for you, right? Because it's one thing to say, well, it's really hard. I wish I could do everything. But that's kind of a little bit of an immature opinion, I mean, to have. Like, we all know that. It's all hard to say goodbye to all of our ideas. But, hey, I've got to get my team from point A to point B. Therefore, I have to define my point B. That, that, that the realism of what it means to be responsible for the change and to be responsible for your action of your organization 
should drive you into being able to say no and to let go of things that aren't going to allow you to be successful. Right? This is the difference between being the idea guy and being a visionary leader. Is that a visionary leader chooses and is able to prioritize to make a choice so that people can actually get there. Idea guys, we can sit around all day and make up all kinds of ways to save the world, but that doesn't mean we're going to actually effectuate it. And when you're driven by the love of Christ and, and a truly Christian sense, well, you're driven towards real solutions. And that might mean that, yes, that there's a, a certain, you know, a, a desire to put things in the parking lot that we might get to later down the road. And there's a way that we want to achieve different things. But in the end, the driving factor has to be we are here to act. And action requires clarity. Clarity comes from choosing. So let's give forward ideas that we're actually going to be ready to choose. There's a type of temperance that's operative inside to say it's not just because it's easy and it's, it's pleasant and near us that we should do it. There's a, a, a commanding force that's bigger than our appetite for nice, shiny, bright objects, right? There, that appetite is for what's going to make the biggest difference for the people that we are responsible for. Right? So that prioritization of your desires finds a, a, an aid in the prioritization of where God has put you. Right? So if you're, in, if you're a lay person, for example, there is an order to your life. First is your spouse, then is your children, then is your extended family, then is your workplace, and then is everywhere else. Okay, so like in terms of my prioritization of my tasks, there are confines that have already been given to me by the choices of my life. I can't put my children, for example, brush them off and go racing after some sort of big mission for the world without, you know, having falsely identified my priorities. Well, in the same way, if I give just in my workflow, what are the, what are the parameters that I've been given? What am I responsible for? What am I not responsible for? I can already take a look at some of the confines of my life in order to help me to say, well, given the, the, the parameters and the, the, the circumstances that are around me, these are the ways I can prioritize my choices to be in alignment with the prioritization of my mission. And sometimes, well, we have to just accept, I might have to get a new mission. Like I might not be in the right job. How do you know that? I mean, there's a whole field of questions there. But once you do get settled, it's a big step forward because then the humility of the leader allows you to be temperate. I'm not here, in other words, to do everyone else's job. I'm not here to tell everyone else that they're doing their job poorly. I'm here to do the job that I've been given. And therein, there is uh, the ability to say, this is a good idea, but it doesn't affect me. This is something that does affect me and for which I'm responsible. And then I can enter into a, you know, another phase of basically being able to say no. The, the phase of dreaming is your ability to say, yes, I desire these things. But then your, your phase where you become realistic and you allow yourself to you know, pare things down becomes your ability to say no. And the great artists demonstrated this. This is something that allows a great artist to be just that. They, they, they might have terrific intuitions and terrific creative energies, but it's in the choice that they make of a particular note or a particular rhythm or a particular sequence that allows the tr their true genius to shine forth. And so we, start, we need to start to love this phase of saying no 
And the phase of paring things down into being able to say, this is where things really belong. So how do you get to, to do that? How do you say no effectively? I'm going to give you a surprising answer to that, right? As you develop your ability to say no, think of it this way. First ask, what is the most important? And if you say this is the most important, then I'm not saying no to the rest. I'm simply saying that there's an order between them. I remember when I was trying to decide about my own vocation as a priest. As a priest, you have to give up a lot of things. And I loved a lot of things. So, you know, how do I say no to good things? And I remember our priest gave me some great advice. He said, look, it's not a question of, of denying or negating things that are good. It's just a question of asking which one is first for you. Which one is number one? Well, then I said, well, that's really easy. I mean, Jesus is number one. Well, is Jesus calling you to follow him? The answer was yes. So he's like, well, then just put everything else as number two or number three or number four and serve Christ first and allow that number one to then give the order for the rest. And, and that's such a wonderful thing because we're oftentimes afraid of, of not doing everything. And so therefore we don't do anything. <laughs> and the secret to doing anything is the ability to do something. And the something is the ability to do one thing. And so how you free yourself up isn't by saying, okay, these things are bad and this is good. It's a question instead of saying, which one do I find to be the best? Which one is the most compelling? Which one will allow me to do the most with the least? And, and, and there's an act of the intelligence. And sometimes, you know, that's, that's not the easiest thing. But you don't have to be perfect at this phase. Give yourself a list. Make up three or four of the possibilities. But you just have to be willing to have that realism to come to these are real things for us to debate as a team. Because then you can go into the phase of discernment. You can look at the different factors you weren't aware of. You can adjust those possibilities. But if you're not willing to let some of the ideas take a second seat or a third seat, well, then you're never going to be able to really make a plan. All right? And so that, that drive of a leader is, number one, the openness of the heart, the openness to desire, the real dream to, to bring to bear all kinds of wonderful solutions that's then coupled with this focus I'm ready to act. My dreams have to be realistic. So I'm going to enter into a phase understanding where essentially I spend my time looking for that realism. And God, because his love is real, loves realistic plans. And he loves realistic ideas. And he's there to help us to do just that. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.